Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 266. Thank you for tuning in, guys. I have a request of you. Um, This podcast episode is one of my all-time favourites. It's one of the best I've ever done. I genuinely... Yeah, I'm really proud of it. I really... Tim gives some amazing insights... He kind of opened me up on some things um, that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Um, So that was cool and scary. I I speak about some stuff I've never spoken about to anyone in the world ever before in this episode. So it goes kind of deep and kind of heavy. And it's it's some mental health stuff. Um, But the reason I need your guys' help is this episode, as said, honestly... You know I don't say all the time that it's 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 one of my fav or it's yeah it's my favorite in a while. Um it's dropped on a week where for another thing that I'll talk about another time I have to not go on social media for a week. I'm kind of undecided at the moment of, of what I'm going to do. I might send someone else on to just do a post about this podcast because I don't want to not post about it because as said it's 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 one of my favorites of all time but I also know that um t- and tim knows t- tim claire isn't this huge name so if people are just b- b- browsing on itunes or acast or spotify then they might see that when i go oh, i don't know who that is I'll, I'll go on to another thing um so i really just need you guys to spread the word if you can like more than ever like have a listen but i think you're going to listen and go man that's one of the best that we've had tim's enthusiasm and his knowledge um it's fantastic. I, re- I said this. This this episode means the world to me. So it's annoying. I'll be back online at some point on Friday. So I'll try and shout about it then. But also on Sunday, I've got a bonus episode because it's Emmy Awareness Day, and I I sat down with Jason Reed, who has Emmy, and we talk about Emmy and how misunderstood it is as an illness um, or as a condition. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of tough. I've not got tons of time to push this. So, yeah, I, you know I don't normally do this. Often if it's a mental health one or whatever or a smaller name, I'll ask you to give it a push. But you know I don't normally go in this heavy and this deep to to ask you to spread the word on this. Um, so, yeah, if you could, it would be really appreciated. I mean, there's there's a, a, lot, a lot on here advising on overcoming pr- procrastination overcoming writer's block increasing your productivity so if there's any chat groups any any facebook groups that that this would be a relevant one for people to listen to then you know go and post it in there and um and spread the word as said it's weird this is the longest intro i've ever given for trying to get you to share one but you i think you're gonna have a listen you're gonna understand why tim was as i said unbelievably open but he also brought an openness out in me that i wasn't expecting on the day <laughs> and yeah it's a great chat and i'm just a fan of tim claire anyway it was good to have a catch up i i love the dude um we plug a lot of things in the show at the end of the show or the main things that need plugging things like his his death of a, a thousand cuts podcast which is a couch 280k thing <laughs> thing it's chatting to a lot of, of 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 authors and different people in there anyway 
I'm going to get on with the podcast. I'm going to skim over all the plugs because that bit at the beginning was the important bit for me. Obviously, speechdevelopmentrecords.com is where you can buy stuff. Obviously, patreon.com slash scroobiuspip. We've just had poem of the month. And me and Tim talk about being on the spoken word scene together. This month's poem is one that I may have performed around the time me and Tim were doing stuff. But yeah, anyway, that's all there. It's a dollar a month. It's not very much. Let's get on with the podcast. I'll be back at the end. Also, you know, it's key to mention that we've got a special at the weekend as well. On with the podcast. This is um, episode 266 with the wonderful Tim Clare. say it all the time but genuinely mean it there's no one that gets more out of these podcasts than me um and knowing a lot of the stuff that you've devised a lot of the things that you've researched it's all stuff that i've hit walls with in recent years and things like that and i've wanted to have a chat with you about and things like that so when we was like let's just do a podcast that's far easier so great i'm excited it's perfect so I'm, i'm i'm joined today by tim Clare. how are you sir i'm feeling really really good i just had a i had a cold shower before you came around not because it was specifically you but because like i was up at quarter to six this morning so i was like i've got to wake myself up so i got under the cold shower and i feel feel awake I'm, i'm such a big advocate for cold showers i've for over a year now i have more cold showers than than hot sh- me too. showers. I, I have one after every every time I exercise, and I've got really into my exercise. Even if it's a light exercise, I like it. it I feel I'm in a better place mentally when I'm exercising and stuff like that. And the times I'm in a rougher place is when I've not had time to exercise and things like that. So, but I had Wim Hof on the podcast, mm-hmm. and he talked to me about the power of cold showers, and I'd, I'd already heard his stuff before. And I just started doing it after exercise and it stopped me getting any aches or pains or anything getting caught or knots or stecking. But then after a while, I'd miss them if I wasn't having them. As stupid as it sounds at first, I'd be like, I need to get through it. It's good for me. Then it'd become a treat. And then I'd have a week where I'm not exercising and I'm just having normal warm showers. And I'd be like, I really want that buzz of being burnt out from exercise and then a cold shower to to hit you through. It's so difficult to explain that desire to go under a cold shower to mm-hmm. people with i like i met i didn't mention i was doing it to anyone for months because i was so convinced they'd look at me like i was like you know like drinking squirrel wee or something yeah. like I, I genuinely <laughs> thought they think or they think i was being like like bro science dude and going like 100%. i'm going in and i'm like i'm do- just by the way so you know yeah. i get up every morning and because i'm like disciplined i'm having cold showers yeah and i was so scared that people would think that i was just doing it to show off yeah. like nobody's there the first time i did it i was like i was in the shower in there and i screw 
I'm so glad no one was in the house because I I screamed like it is horrible the first time. Mate, you did the it. first time I did it, I I, I speaking to my mum on the phone and I genuinely felt I'd pulled a muscle, not from the exercise I'd done, but from the little tensed face I did <laughs> as as the cold water hit me. So I'd been exercising hard, n- nothing. I get in the shower and because you do that little tense neck thing. I was literally I was like, oh. God, I've, I've pulled a muscle from the cold shower. But yeah, exactly. That first time, it's horrendous. But it does, it does get addictive. lovely. And it will be the endorphins or whatever else it sets off in you. Again, I'm bro-sciencing it up now. But it does that. It, it, it... I, I love it. And I think, you know, like, I don't know how how you are with, like, your sort of uh, mental health and anxiety. But for me, and we can get into this a, a mm. bit later, but for I think... So like I heard sort of one thing that Mark Maron talked about a lot with like with comedians is like a lot of people get into comedy because they want to choose the reason, control the reason why people laugh at them, right? They were bullied yeah, at yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the things that cold showers let me do is like choose the reason why I feel anxiety and choose the yeah. reason why I am feeling nervous like it allows me it gives me like this little control box where it goes you know like feeling horrible or feeling that anticipation feeling your heart starting to beat feeling like the um the amygdala that little uh yeah sort of like almond shaped bit in in your uh in your brain starting to uh, react and go there's a threat coming and you know there isn't because it's just some water coming out yeah. of a shower head and it, it's like the least we're not like wrestling a tiger it's a shower Nothing bad's going to happen to you. So you just get to experience those things in a controlled environment and go, okay, how am I going to deal with this? Because you get to see the whole fight or flight or freeze response happening. For, you know that there's no, you know yeah. this is your choice and you know it's for no reason. But, and- but, but equally, you've got the option to jump out. Yeah. So that is, there is the fight or flight thing there still, even though it's a, a, a minuscule one, it's still there. It's that. Yeah, it's putting yourself in And that you're situation. right, the choice is really important because like pouring freezing water on is like how they induce stress in like lab rats and stuff, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But those lab rats didn't get a choice. This yeah. is something that de- definitely, and I think it's really important with all of these things to be like, there are people who have no control over suffering like chronic pain and things like yeah. that. And, the, you know, they're not going, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to learn about my, myself. Although it, you know, all these things can be, but I think it's that fact that it's voluntary makes a huge difference, yeah. right? Because you're getting to choose it and you're getting to do it on your own terms. And um, so many of the things that go wrong in our lives or the things that cause us stress feel like they're completely out of our control. So yeah. I guess, you know, that's, but I love, do you, Wim Hof as well, he's got such like a kind of like slightly kind of like manic kind of like uncle voice, you know, oh, he completely. seems like such like an, so I imagine like, it's easier to get into a shower feeling like that he'd be proud of you a little yeah. bit. Yeah, oh, completely. <laughs> the 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 time I had him on the podcast, I got to go to his house in, in Holland and he was just... And there's so much of his stuff that I think is absolute hippie bullshit. <laughs> but I think mixed in there, there's some amazing science, even just, just as said, psychological stuff, some amazing things in there. And it's finding that balance because, again, I think we're so quick to be so binary with things that these days it's right or wrong and joe rogan's a prime example um w- wim hoff all of these different people people say yeah but he said this and that's bullshit it's like all right 
But how about all this other stuff that maybe isn't? It's, it's, it's like there doesn't have to be that they're they're right or no one is right on everything or wrong on everything. It's kind of it's not how it is. So I loved developing that in me, I guess, as a person to go. I sat there with Wim and for loads of it, I'm sitting thinking, mate, <laughs> what are you even talking about? But then because I'd had someone like Dan Hardy on, he's an MMA fighter who I love dearly and he got really into crystals and I think they're nonsense, but I know Dan is intelligent, articulate, a wonderful human. So that kind of was a real open the uh, d- 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 door opener for me, I guess, as a human to go. Well, we don't have to agree on everything, <laughs> but but that doesn't write someone off just because they believe in this. Or it's that. An, it sometimes I think people think that's a slightly sort of these days. I always, I, well, I maybe they don't, but I always fear that people feel that's like a flaky position. But like I. I remember going, when I was sort of starting out in poetry, two months, I made myself do two months where I I left home and did two months on the road going to a different open mic every single night for two months. And one of them was at lunchtime up in Glasgow with a poetry group that turned out that had originally been a recovering from the mental health system group. And there was a woman there who... Like, she'd just been on a course where she did sort of, like, psychically bonded with horses and was telling me about, like, how what the horse had been thinking and how she... And I don't believe... My understanding of the universe is such that I do not believe that is possible or I have no reason to believe that is possible. But at some point during the conversation and seeing these people like love each other, like these sort of people who were sort of misfits everywhere else. And they were just like a group of kids on a picnic. They were so kind and loving to each other. And I was like, does it really matter? Like she's not advocating giving me sort of psychic surgery or like suddenly people, she's not saying people shouldn't be immunized. She's just saying I can speak to horses and all the horses tell her is be kind to us. Like it's fine. If the horses were telling her like assassinate the president, then maybe I would. But there's loads of, I've heard again, it's similar. I've heard comedians that I respect. I find incredibly intelligent who are into this equine therapy. And, and, And it is, it's they go, once or twice a week to be with, with their horse. And a lot of it is just touching them and holding them and all this kind of thing. But it works for them. So that's fine, right? And In my mind, that's that's absolutely fine. It's like it works for you. It's the same It's the same with my view on religion is I was brought up a Catholic. I don't particularly have any beliefs either way now. But I'm fine. If it's used in the right way, I'm fine with it. You go and believe in that, whether it's a horse or a god. Or, or whatever it is that that gets you through, then go right ahead. Yeah, they in um, uh, Take a Break, Fate and Fortune, uh, which is a spin-off of Take a Break magazine, but dealing largely with fate and fortune, they do have a, a monthly column called Texas, the Psychic Horse, Brilliant. where people can write in. And origin, like it now I'm more comfortable with it because people just write in saying my, my pet won't you know, is a bit scared of the attic room. What should I do? And Texas will say, put some dog food up there and that's fine. Originally it was people like (laughs) writing in with their like financial problems. 
And, and, and what's interesting <laughs> yeah. about it is it's not even claimed that it's Texas answering the questions. He's Texas, the horse has got a spirit guide. Right. So it's not, it's, he's channeling it and then his owner is psychically speaking to him. So I mean, that makes sense because what would a horse know about finances? <laughs> I'm glad he's channeling it. It's, yeah, yeah, but it's the bureaucracy <laughs> I can't get my head around. Yeah. It's, like, it's, like the, it's like the foreign office or something. You have to go through so many people to get your answer. Yeah. I just, it's, but it's, it's a great... The thing is, these things m- make people happy. And I, I think like even just... And also, I'm sure there are things I believe... In fact, I know because, like, I think this is the other thing about having a mental illness, right? Is I believe a lot of stuff that is manifestly not true. Yeah. Every month, right? I believe, like, literally crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, and it makes you a lot more sympathetic to someone believing stuff that that you don't believe in because you go, "Are you? All yeah, right. but I believed like." I, I I believe that like people were watching me across the road. I believe a dude was trying to like climb through my window, and it was just a fly that had bumped into it. Like yeah, I believe yeah. wrong stuff all the time, and and that is partly the human condition, right? We're not very good at dealing with ambiguity. We're not very good at dealing with as soon as threat is in the mix. We're not very good at parsing whether that's true or not. So of course, and you know, I you just think. There, but for the grace of God, right? Or there, yeah. but for the grace of a horse. Like, yeah. you, you just might go, okay, let's be careful about this because I'm going to be wrong about something and I hope people can be nice about it when I screw yeah. up. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating one. And this is, I'm only mentioning this now because it's felt relevant twice in this conversation <laughs> already. But again, on the kind of the weird shit, I'm not a superstitious person, but for over 10 15 years now, every day I've worn socks with numbers on them that add up to the number five because five is my lucky number. This is weird. I have them made. Like, it's a specific, it's really odd. And again, I think maybe when I started doing it, I was more superstitious and believed in luck. And now I'm not, but I still do it. And the reason it came to mind earlier as well, because there's that and also I... All of my, it's so weird, but all of my pants are the same type of black pants. And part... Both of those things were to take control over something in my life. So I'm not having to have a decision at the start of today of the day to remove the amount of decisions I have to make that aren't important. So rather than oh, what oh, am I gonna wear my good blue pants today because I might meet a girl or am I gonna do this? It's like remove that. All my pants are the same. I just grab two socks that add up to number five, a four and a one, a two and a three, a five and a blank, all fine. And it is something that I think I've put in when maybe I had different reasons for it but i've kept it in my life because it's taking that control it's saying here's a decision early on that i don't have to worry about the the, the one time i've had what i would feel and i've not talked about this t- to anyone actually at all um but a, a few months back or a month or two ago i had what i think is the first time i've ever had a panic attack and it's because i was out and i decided everything that was going to happen and then i got somewhere one of those Jenga blocks was pulled out and I didn't know what to do. I walked out of the shop I was in. I went to get in my car, walked back to the shop. I walked in and just kind of mumbled, confused because I couldn't figure out what to do. And it really, it spun me out and it made me realize that that's one of the reasons I take control over these small things that can be in my control because it is a weakness I have there is when, because I'm so organized, maybe when confronted with things that just pull that out slightly. And this was literally, I was going to get some food. It wasn't anything important or life-changing, but because I'd got it so clear in my head, I'm going to go there, do this, do that, and because that first one fell through, I ended up, after about 10 minutes, just 
going home a little bit confused and shook. And oh. I think, again, it made me realise how important these stupid little things, which I joke about. I joke about my socks all the time. I joke about all these things now. But it's having those things. It's like, right, no, that's in my control. And that gives me that comfort at the start of the day to then go, all right, cool. I've got something under control. Now if things go out of control, it's fine. Because you've, de- you've made a definite choice. Yeah. And I mean, it, to anyone who's not, you know, suffered from, had some kind of anxiety or, you know, had... A lot of people don't realise that they've had panic attacks as yeah. well. They're so often first presenting going to the doctor with something like um, they think they're having a heart attack, yeah. or they think, or they think they're literally going insane because, like, one of the symptoms of when your sympathetic nervous system starts amping up when your amygdala starts, you know, in the you've got like this overactive limbic system in your brain when it starts. They call it like the amygdala hijack, but like when your amygdala starts taking like executive, resting executive control from the rest of your brain. Oh, wow. um, people don't realize that um, they're having a panic attack. You get often unreality. It's like a real common symptom yeah. where you suddenly go, I, life doesn't feel like it's real. And you feel like you're almost sort of like spaced out and step back from it. 100% suddenly, that, a really yeah. simple thing suddenly seems weird. You can't work out. You suddenly, it's like being stoned or something. You look and you go, oh, shops are weird, aren't they? You have to like interact and there's all these, uh, how does this work? Because your brain is like going back several layers into your kind of like reptilian hindbrain yeah. and none of the modern world makes the slightest bit of sense when parsed in terms of where's the threat, where's the food, where can I shelter? You're like, this is, a, this is an Apple store. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, and I think those things, and it can be That's very all scary. so relatable. As I said, that was all. The th- there was just so much just walking back and forth in in the little town near me, just kind of not knowing what I'm doing. It was exactly that. It I, felt like when I'm, I've been stoned or when I've been on acid or all these things yeah. that I did by choice in my youth. To have it all kind of hit you now without choice, it was like fuck. <laughs> and then everything was fine. I went home. I watched some films. I still, as I said, like I say, for the rest of that day, I was a little bit w- weird. And my missus mm. a few times was like, "Everything all right?" I'm like, "Yep," because again, it was just something I I hadn't been able to process it yet. I was like, "I don't really know what's happening or what has happened." So let's just put the TV on and we'll stare in that direction because <laughs> that was a safety net for me. Like when you give a kid an iPad because yeah. it's all got a bit too much. It's like, well, they're going to stare there for a bit. I needed that. I was like, I'm just going to put that on and stare and then it'll all be all right. Yeah. And I think that's, <laughs> I think that's really common. And um, often it's, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to like, uh, like claim there's some kind of like etiology here where, oh, that's how it starts. I was, I, I was about yeah, yeah, to no, say, no, and then yeah, that sounds sure. like do, too doomy prognosis. Yeah, look but out. what I mean is like, sometimes <laughs> people have like a small incident, and then they start watching for it because they don't know what's happened to them. Yeah. They don't realise it was a panic attack. They don't realise that loads and loads of people have these things yeah. and it can't harm you. It's extremely unpleasant, but it can't harm you. And then they start watching for it. Yeah. And then and if you're watching for something where, A, you don't know what it was, B, yeah. you feel shame because, like, how do you explain to someone I couldn't figure out a shop. People start thinking, yeah. did I have a stroke? Yeah. Did, like, is this a beginning of dementia? Is there something wrong with me? Am I going insane? All None of those thoughts lead you to reduced stress no. and a happy it's place. It's also self-fulfilling, right? Again, Absolutely. I was kind of lucky, I guess, that as a teenager, I, I, was, I, I, I was seeing a 
a young lady who suffered really badly from panic attacks. And I would see how her panic attacks would all be based around the fact that she thought that at some point she was going to have a heart attack, mm. which is then going to raise your heart rate. Yeah. And it's it's all this self-fulfilling thing. And numerous times that we had to get an ambulance, all sorts of stuff, because it was all self-fulfilling. It was that that fear was there, so she's looking out for it. So then a slight, slight feeling of my heart rate's rising would then make her heart rate rise. And it's all this weird self-fulfilling thing. So I think because of that, I was lucky. And I was like, right, no, that was just a weird thing that happened. It's over now. But yeah, it's fascinating... I said how common these things are, yet how un, unexplained or undefined they are, I guess, in general. Do you just hear the term panic attack? What does that mean? Were you on the floor? Were you screaming? Were you, you know, it's so vague. People have, like, radically different ones from yeah. ones where you, you could be in the room with them and you wouldn't know that they were having a yeah. panic attack because they just go quiet, they become shivery, like it's all like palpitations. Yeah. Like yeah. it's very internal and they just go quiet and you might not realise to like me, where most of my panic attacks, and like, you know, I still feel sort of like embarrassed about it, but like most of my panic attacks are very external, very like sc- like screaming terror, like pinned to the floor, screaming in the way that you would sort of scream if you were in a plane and suddenly they lost cabin yeah. pressure and it was like plummeting that kind of like, just like, ah, ah, ah. And it is, it's, you know, like it's difficult and it is especially, in, you know, I knew it was hard when my daughter was coming, when I knew I was going to be a dad, I was like, Oh God, to get this sorted out yeah. because I don't want to be doing that in front of my daughter. And then of course you go into this period where you've got, had the least sleep, of your life, yeah. the stakes are higher than they've ever been before. A little moment of panic, you think, could this be a panic attack? And it's been hard. And I've, you know, and I have had panic attacks and I've had panic attacks that, where she's sort of been in the house and she's been able to hear some of it. And um, it's not, you know, it's not what I would choose for myself and it's not what I would choose for her. Mm. Um, and the only but, you know, self-judgment, is correlates with more panic attacks that's yeah. just been shown you you can't you can't like beat your way out of it by like making shame like a rod for your back and going right you know what the problem is you don't feel bad enough about yeah, yourself that's yeah. why you've been like easing into panic attacks because you like yourself too much <laughs> that will never ever work and and it's kind of like the kind of like chinese finger trap thing and it's easy to intellectualize hard to to actually pull off but this fact that the panic attacks will release their grip a little bit when you start not needing them to go it's almost like an and I know this is going to sound twee and I'm not for a moment saying anyone who's having panic attacks should be glad for them but anxiety my anxiety disorder and my panic attacks have changed have have in many ways changed my life for the better they've made me they are more like the symptoms of stuff you are not dealing with yeah. stuff you are not engaging with uh i like i spoke to an author uh, uh at the weekend actually and she said to me like whenever you've got writer's block it is like dealing with writer's block is basically therapy like yeah. like you're not it's rare that you're blocked because you just can't figure out how the people doing the heist get out of the bank. Occasionally yeah. you get stuff like that where you're like, I I don't know how to hotwire a forklift. I have to go and do that bit yeah. of research. And yeah. that's why I can't continue because I've got to know how an engine works. Most of the time, if you are blocked, like dealing with why you're not able to write, it's to do with perfectionism. It's to do yeah. with fear. It's to do with I 
don't want to finish this book because I need to be always working on it. Mm -hmm. Anything you do to solve that. And it's the same with panic attacks. Like I feel like they are just like a very loud alarm that's saying the way you are living and the way you're thinking about your life is not serving you. And um, it's very unpleasant, but it is, they've, steered me towards becoming a better person i think i'm sort of comfortable with saying yeah that's great i mean let's rewind a little bit and kind of go because we've known each other for for 10 years or so really i guess probably more than that and we met on on the spoken word scene and do you feel like having learned later on in life that you you suffered from anxiety and stuff like that do you feel performing was a coping mechanism for that or 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 a thing to force yourself to do because f- you were one of the guys I'd regularly book at best of all because you were an incredibly s- safe pair of hands I knew that not only could you write you, you could get up there and n- nail a performance you wouldn't have any issues it always if it, or if there were issues you were someone who could cope with it whereas spoken word particularly early days can be a tough one because it's a lot of people who uh, may have great minds, but not n- necessarily comfortable in front of crowds, in front of these pressure situations. And you, um, John Osborne, and a, f- a few others, uh, Ross Sutherland, definitely were all guys who I felt safe going, well, these guys will be at the top of the lineup because I know that if it's a big crowd, or even the more scary thing, if it's a small crowd, yeah. they can go out there and handle it. And that's the the thing. So how was that as as part of of, of you finding you or dealing with you i guess well that's i think that's a really i think that's like sort of really true point you're making in a way that people don't really understand if you like go can go and perform in front of like you know hundreds or thousands or like you say the scariest of all three people like where you just feel like yeah where you feel like you're trapped in a service lift with a family right like but the last panic attack i had a few weeks ago was like the most stupid childish thing I I mean, I mean again you hear the self-judgment in it but like I had a plate on a table I was eating my tea while reading something and I'd put the plate on the edge of the table and I leant on it and it like flipped and went in my lap and I started going oh 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 and like got into like a flap and and started gasping and panicking and hyperventilating and all these things that are like you sort of see in like a like comic character yeah. in like a on like TV, like you know when they breathe into a paper bag and all that stuff was was true for me. But the fact is, since I can have a panic attack from like a jar of capers falling out the cupboard when I wasn't expecting it to, it's actually not particularly more scary for me to be on stage in front of hundreds of people. Yeah, and actually that's one situation where being adrenalized, having um, the sympathetic nervous system like activated having adrenaline pumping through your body uh that's giving you more energy that is um making you sort of like rise up onto the balls of your feet that's meaning that you can prowl you can shout that you're energized it is the one socially acceptable situation where i can march up and down like a yelling yeah (laughs) my thoughts at strangers and i and i and i'm not sort of like and I don't have someone like come and throw a coat around me and like gently lead me away to have a cup of sugary cup of tea. Like it's a situation where suddenly being able to cast around for threats is something you do in an audience, not because you're going to like aggressively like call someone a douchebag, but you, you, you are casting around, you become hyper aware of, I think this person is bored. So I'm going to project at them to try and make them feel brought back in. Yeah. 
you might look around here and go, oh, look, there's a pillar there that's creating a dead zone behind there. So I'm going to move the audience around towards me so they can see what I'm doing better. You're constantly aware of like, and I have like, I have anxiety dreams about losing a crowd. That's my second most common anxiety dream is like, it's always my fault as well in the dream as well. Like I've done, I've done a piece that's a bit too self-indulgent or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. again, it's like you were talking about with this, with like choosing your socks every morning. So if you are someone like, uh, who gets like any kind of anxiety, but like I, I'm ironically, I'm really bad with crowds. Ironically, when I go to festivals, I often can't go into a crowd or I choose not to. And I get, I get anxious, not all the time, but sometimes and particularly actually after I've performed. And the reason I find that the crowd's difficult is the same that anyone who has, uh, uh, that, that feeling of uh, what's the opposite of claustrophobia? Um, the agrophobia. Agrophobia, right? Agrophobia for me is like a feeling of like radically diffused irritation that you can't control everyone. Yeah. There'll be like a conversation <laughs> going over on over there. And maybe there's like some like guys on a train who are a little bit drunk and getting a little bit leery. Yeah. And you're worried they might three more vodkas in might turn and so you are monitoring them yeah. while trying to get on with your life and so that's one like open browser window over there is is the the people who might turn later on and then over here there's sort of like a there's like a, a couple who are arguing and you feel worried for them and so that and i absorb all these different feelings of people going on around me and it's hard um now in a audience situation where you're working a room all of those things are, that's useful data that you yeah. can bring into your set that you can go and you can talk, you can talk to people. And I'm, I'm never kind of like, what do you do for a living buddy? And then like, yeah. I'm not that kind of person, but I definitely try and embrace people in this big sort of sweaty, hairy bear hug. And for me, it's just the one place in my life where having bags of adrenaline, feeling anxious and spewing my feelings about how I feel was completely normal and accepted. And not only accepted, uh, applauded, yeah. pr- pr- praised. That's kind of the beautiful thing. It's, it's, it's fascinating what you were saying. And it makes me think, similar with my with grow, growing up having a stutter, people are like, aren't you scared talking in front of, of 100 people, 1,000 people? I'm like, I'm scared talking in front of one person. That's my day to day life. So the, num- this is the numbers no don't make scary. any difference, yeah. right? So I'm scared all the time. This, yeah. this is <laughs> that's y- it. Y- yes, I was scared going on stage, but no more than scared going into Tesco's. So <laughs> I go in there all the time. Let's that's, just get on with it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Like I and and, and it's actually a, an audience. Is it? It's one place where you've got. There's a kind of social license to be exerting some kind of control over the people yeah. in front of you. Yeah. It's not okay on a train to like go, uh, move over to the guys who are like getting drunk and go, actually, I'm just going to, can you move closer to me, please? Yeah. You just come a few seats forward. Thanks. Great. Okay. You come, the couple who are having an argument, lovely to see you. If you can just step forward here right now, would you like a poem about this or about like this? I- like that would be, that they that would not, probably um elicit a good reaction but with an audience it's accepted there's a social contract i'm gonna turn up i'm gonna say some stuff to you and you're gonna look at me and if you like it you're gonna give me some very clear unambiguous feedback that you liked it as well so it's not gonna be blank faces 
um, or I'll understand that, that you didn't like it. But so there's going to be none of this like social ambiguity. Am I boring this person with this conversation? Because at the end, when I stop, you like literally applaud. That doesn't happen (laughs) in a normal anecdote, right? Unless it's a rip. Yeah, hell of an anecdote. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And again, I I couldn't relate more there. There's been points recently as 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 my girlfriend is kind of getting to understand the 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 mess that I am more that we'll have train journeys and we'll get to the end of it and she'll now realize that that I was quiet for that whole journey because I was bubbling at everyone around me that conversation was making me furious that conversation was good but it was a little bit off there was a slight bit wrong there and I'm just going. Ah, oh, I need. You were to hearing be, half a phone I need conversation. To be at home on my own. I don't yeah. need to be taking in everything at the moment. Yeah, and- you absorb it, even if it's exciting. Even if you're hearing a phone conversation and someone's having like a conversation about <laughs> like, like, uh, like picking up the horse box and because what that's spiking in you is and that's a classic thing with like storytellers right this is what all good stories do it's spiking cortisol in you it's spiking the stress hormone and it's making you pay attention but paying attention is a hugely metabolically costly thing for us to do it's why like in basic storytelling structure you have what's like called freitag's uh, pyramid. Uh, excuse me if I'm like teaching my grandma how to suck eggs, but like <laughs> no. rising action and then falling action. The yeah. audience need breaks, and that's not an a- accident. Yeah. It's because uh, human beings respond, you know, in attention wise best to threat. Um, but we need times to just be able to. We need the scene where the characters like eats some eggs in a diner, right? Because yeah. it's knackering. Yeah. And if you are. If, and if you are uh, someone who is sort of socially conscientious and has that level of awareness, um, then it can be hard to turn it off. And it's like you are being made to watch five movies, like the like the rushes to five movies where they haven't really edited it yet, where they don't know what the ending's going to be. The characters don't quite make sense. You're like, who's this person? Yeah. Who's it? And you don't even know what genre it is. So you don't know if all these characters are suddenly you're going to get a wide shot and a bus is going to slam yeah, into yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Or like I, when I was had my anxiety the worst, actually, I couldn't watch a lot any film where a character walks out into the road and turns back and it's like a wide shot right, because I was yeah. constantly convinced a car was going to hit it's them. It's the classic. And I was like watching, I was watching, I was watching Rocky Balboa and it was like 10 <laughs> minutes in and he do, does that and he steps back. And I was like, I was like, I was like, <laughs> like ripping the arms of my seat. Yeah. And I'm like, what are the chances that Sylvester Stallone is going to have like Rocky killed off by like a random back. car? Like that would be like a bold directorial yeah. choice. But but it, it's not really, it doesn't really feel like a satisfying ending to this boxer's journey just yeah. to be moaned down and that's it. But I couldn't, like to me, every movie was a horror film. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's intense. Um, it's, it's, it's a fascinating one there because again it's it is something that's important and a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about is is stuff i think that 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 you've learned as a writer that you can teach to other writers and that was just straight there that was a fascinating one i i i had a novel that i've, I've had a novel that i've again it's another reason i was saying i learn more from these than anyone else but i've had a novel that i've been working on for no shit, ju- really. For just over twenty years. How exciting! I literally came up with it at college and all this. But a year or two ago, I got to a, f- a, a finish point. I sent it off to the publisher that was interested, and they came back to me. And in my mind, it was shit. 
it's not going to happen. And I was was fine with that. I was at that point. I was like, the important thing here has been completing a draft kind of thing. And then literally a year later, the publisher chased me up. I was like, have you you got anywhere with the feedback? Oh, we gave you. And what I realised was exactly that. the The problem I'd had was because it's a story I've had for so long, and I know everyone. From start to finish, it was all the action of the story. And again, I need to preface that with the fact that the point of the story that's is a is a very mundane story so the smallest things feel like action but what she was highlighting to me was because you know the characters you know all the mundanity that has lent up to this we're not having the mundanity you mentioned early on that i've got a really boring life and then from then on it's fascinating and it's like no we need more of the mundane and i've then done a redraft and it's with the publisher now and we'll probably go back and forth a million times but it was exactly that. It was things like that of not realising. In my mind, it's like, I need to make sure it's interesting. And it's like, no, r- readers need breaks and they need ups and downs. And again, it sounds weird because I'm now making out it's some huge action adventure thing. It's a mundane story in general, but it needed more mundanity. No, and, 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 <laughs> and actually what you're talking about, I just well, we might as well just like leap straight into it. Yeah. I talked to the uh, this uh, neuroscientist called Paul J. Zach. Um, I was really interested, right? I'm really you know, like when your brain is not working as you want it. And people like often when they've got mental illnesses will say, oh, I've got like a broken brain or my like dodgy brain or something. And they're trying to be sort of self-deprecating about it. But it does sometimes unconsciously reinforce the idea that the brain is like, that we're like born with this mm-hmm. brain. And don't get me wrong, like some people, you know, do have like neurological uh, uh, issues and challenges that are there, they're congenital, they're there from birth. I'm not saying that. But um, the more research that has been done, the more we're seeing like the incredible like neuroplasticity of the brain throughout life. And I was just really interested to know, am I stuck with this? In yeah. which case I want to know how I can build like scaffolding to get round my deficiencies yep. or are there ways that I can actually change my brain to be better? Because I, 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 so many writers talk about like procrastination, hating doing their draft. Oh my God. Like it's like this forced March. They sound like, like, like Napoleon marching his troops into like Russia in the Russian campaign. Right. It's just like, I've got to get to the end of this draft. Uh. And you're like, why is writing being a novelist is like, I was, I was looking online. It is consistently in the top 10, like when they do what's your dream job and yeah. they do surveys, it is consistently around the world, like in the top 10 jobs people say they want to do. And yet I've never known any group <laughs> so, so, so bad for like griping and grumbling yeah. about how the the whole the day-to-day part of it is a kind of hell and it's like wh- why does anyone do it and, and, and I was interested in it and I, I sort of being a bit sort of stubborn I sort of wanted to refuse to accept that 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 is the only way of doing it I think there's a better way and, yeah. and what you're talking about in terms of like mundanity and these like gaps in between yeah. once you've got someone's attention it is no good with the cortisol spike right and we're engaged and we're looking you don't then want them just to feel it would be a horrible story if you're then just like zapping them like yeah. with with the kind of cattle prod of kind of like danger the whole way through yeah, yeah, um, yeah. why would why would anyone keep reading even thrillers even like nail-biting thrillers don't 
do that and the kind of other part of the mix which this neuroscientist Paul J. Zach was talking to me about and he does this you know taking blood samples from people putting them in like liquid nitrogen taking them back to his lab he's like taking blood samples wow. from people um before and after saying their wedding vows at a wedding like he went down oh, in wow. Kent and like 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 took blood samples from the bride like 10 minutes before she went out in this like big house he had like he had all this like lab equipment like dry ice kind of like crazy stuff right to look at this thing called uh oxytocin which is like the trust hormone right it's like released when we it's i know about it because when my wife gave birth the first thing they do is do if they can, is do skin to skin where they put the child on the yep. mum's chest and that releases oxytocin and it's what brings the milk down and it's what helps. It helps with wow. thermoregulation. It helps with bonding. And we've got this thing, but it's also something we release as human beings when we, any kind of ritual that bonds us, any yeah. kind of thing that we do from like, like doing a hacker to like singing happy birthday yeah. to wedding vows yeah. um, releases oxytocin. Oxytocin makes us, oxytocin is released if you t- uh, take MDMA as well. Yeah, yeah. It makes you feel uh, a greater sense of community. It makes you more likely to trust people. And when they've shown people two minute films that release cortisol and then release oxytocin. So, well, like, you know, I'll give you an example of like, a, so um, when me and my wife were, trying uh for a a a baby um her dad fell uh he was he was terminally ill he was in hospital with Mm. cancer and we knew he didn't have long and it was like his he had his 40th wedding anniversary and we went in and like you know we had to have it in hospital and um uh and then we told him that we had a baby on the way uh and it was a little bit early it was like week 11 but we we told him and then that night or the night after we went home and my wife in the night said, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm started bleeding. We need to go to the hospital. And we didn't go until the next morning and we had to go to the same hospital he was in and we went to the unit next to it and they take you into this room and they said, we'll move your scan forward. And they like got the like jelly, the, 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 the and for the ultrasound and yeah. they moved it across her belly and the the screen comes up this kind of like blue sort of windscreen kind of wedge shape um and i know what that looks like when there's a baby there and and there there was nothing and they said we can't see it there's no and um and i remember saying like i remember saying i remember like like literally it sounds so weird but like i remember like literally like like pouring at the air, like clawing at the air, like before the screen and going, where's it gone? Where's it gone? Please get it, get it back. Help. Because like, I just, and, and, and that was, and then we had to go and tell, and then we had to go and tell her dad. Now that story I just told is true, but like I'm doing it deliberately to be manipulative because what that will have released in people is at the beginning, like a stress response of me telling you something bad's going to happen. There's some bleeding. You probably raised your cortisol levels. And then I started talking about like a, a miscarriage and people being sad and that releases oxytocin and that releases this feeling of like bonding amongst people. And they mm. showed in this two minute film where they told a real story about a dad talking about his terminally ill two year old um, and him wondering whether he could spend the time and it's online if you want to watch the film yeah. it's really hard to watch 
how much he he wanted to get close to his son. His son was like a normal boy playing, but he found it hard to get close to him because he knew the knew boy was, was going to die. Yeah, yeah. Um, people having watched that film are 80% more likely to give money to charity. doesn't have to be anything to do with terminally ill children. The effect right. runs afterwards for over 48 hours of that release wow. of oxytocin. People will give uh, more money to charity. They'll be more generous. They'll be more likely to trust people. Um all of that is something deeply human. And so what you would, and to, to get back to what you're saying about the mundane moments yeah. in between the kind of like action, the cortisol spikes, that's what's happening in those mundane moments. That's what's happening in a Pixar movie yeah. where before the robots like stage a breakout, we see them like getting like bits of like uh, junk around them and playing tennis together. Yeah. And one of them's a bit clumsy and kind of like keeps bumping its head. And uh, th- that is spiking oxytocin in us. Mm. So when we get the next big cortisol spike, we are invested because this is the thing that lets human makes human beings in a small group in a small yeah. community look after each other's children protect them from outsiders causes um, i'd say like oxytocin also it's talked about less but also makes you more wary of perceived outsiders people you don't it can make it can make people it you perceive them more as threat um and that is all about this kind of ancient response we've got in us about we perceive suffering amongst each other. And it's kind of quite beautiful that, that it makes the brain release oxytocin and we are more likely to look after each other and be yeah. kind. And if we hear it and the brain is functioning, and this is what's so interesting about this new sort of field of like neuroscience and examining it in terms of narrative and stories is the brain when with our current like um, functional magnetic resonance imaging scans we are unable to distinguish between a brain that is remembering an event and a brain that is watching a movie that it's engaged with. There is no, wow. we are currently, it's currently indistinguishable yeah. between like us, a fictional thing and, and a, real a real thing. A real thing that happened to us. That's absolutely f- fascinating. So, so storytellers have like, we have like a, we have a, a huge power over yeah. people. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, you, uh, we touched upon a procrastination there, and again, it's um, it's a massive thing for writers. Again, it's the main thing that the writers will complain about about how hard it is and all this. And I often have um, I've not really got any good clues or tips, but the thing I always think is I often have people surprised at my work rate at how I have so many different projects and get so many things done. And the truth to that is number one. Again, as we kind of touched upon, I need to have something to be working on. I'm happier in that situation. Otherwise, my mind can go to all the horrible places it might want to. I like having projects. But my best way of completing a project is to have a project I want to work on less. So I can then go, I need to finish this first. I can't do that. So it's why, again, it's why the novel has been 20 years, because I've had albums to write, films to write, all sorts of other things to go, I'll work on this, and then I'll get back to that at some point. So that's been a key for me, I guess, is having, if I'm if I'm procrastinating and not working, at least I'm being productive on something else. And I've spoken to Polar Bear about this a lot as well, how never does is he more keen to write raps than after he's finished a novel because he's mm. had to do that and he's not been allowed to do the one and, it, and but then as soon as he's worked on an album he's gagging to get back to writing a novel or or verse or whatever else and yeah 
it's interesting kind of balances and worlds there. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, yes, it is. Um, and that can, if you can like make that work, it can be really, it can be really useful. Um, it's just that for a, a lot of people, what ends up being the thing they wouldn't like to do is the novel and the thing that they feel more comfortable doing is like the busy work, like sending emails, like doing their day-to-day like job, like firefighting. And I, I think I want to make it clear, although I'm like, I was like taking the mickey out of writers for complaining. I know from personal experience, you know, my first book that I wrote, um, the honors that came out in 2015, like actually wasn't that hard to write. Like I had felt like I'd kind of given up on writing novels. Right. I, I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm a performance poet now. So it kind of like you, you said, like, I didn't feel like anyone was looking at me going, you're a writer. Yep. I felt like I could be crap. Yeah. And like, in the same way as if I just like went surfing, I don't think anyone would be watching going, Oh, think, think you're a surfer do you think you're pretty amazing i don't think i think anyone would like look at me like the way i carried a board like walking out towards the sea and going this is going to be a disaster and they'd be just happy for me for having a try right the same with writing i didn't identify as being a writer or an author so it didn't feel pressured to me and i just had the space to be crap for a long time actually and the story let the story build up and be doing it for me second novel didn't feel like that at all it felt like Oh, oh God. Like people have, you know, the weirdest thing was actually, I started writing the second novel when I was up in Edinburgh doing a show. Um, I would do it, like you said, like it would be something I was doing for me, like a treat when I wasn't performing. And I was flying through it. I was like writing 14,000 words a week. Edinburgh is where I got the bulk of, of my novel written. After years of not getting anything, the one year I did The Fringe, the daytimes just is it was exactly that it's like here's my treat i'm gonna write and that was i get to be on my, i get to be left alone yeah and i get to do this and thing. i don't have to w- w- worry about which show i should be seeing who i should be socializing with it's like no i've got this to do this is my escape exactly so and <laughs> then the first reviews of the honors came out and like i don't want to be a knob about it and like we go and they were rather good but like the first time i because some people hated it right but yeah. like the the first time i read a couple of reviews with people going i love this this is exactly what i wanted like this is you know and i love this and i really enjoyed this and i've not read anything like it before i was like oh my god they look you look at what you're writing like the crappy first draft and you go they're gonna hate this it's not the same because yeah. i haven't just produced the same thing over and over again i've tried to like push myself yeah. i'm trying you must i mean I'm, i don't know like did you like have like the difficult second album, right? Is like the classic thing, right? Did you, were you thinking, oh, if people, if people liked, because that's what I had, like, is just going, if you like this, I was then yeah. now imagining there's this group of people I could disappoint. Wasn't worried about, I imagined I, that what was going to happen is that I was going to write a first novel. And if people liked it, I would be able to relax and go, oh, I'm a, pro- I'm a proper novel novelist yeah, now. I'm allowed yeah. to c- continue producing. And actually what happened was, for the first time, I had an, people that I might disappoint. Amanda Palmer talks talks about like being um, tapped on the head by the like magic wand of legitimacy, and yeah. I always really liked that. I I thought that I genuinely thought that yeah. was going to happen. Yeah, I I had I, again. I was I was lucky that I had my brain worked for me in that at that time in in that situation, and it's a weird one because I don't know if that was re. Really, 
playing now, I would have reacted differently. But my mind at that point was because me and Dan Lasak had made an album completely our own way, despite being pushed to go in a pop direction or this or that, we'd made it our own way and it had been a success. So we had the outlook of, well, we can just make it. Like, we don't have the pressure of p- p- pleasing anyone. Now, the fact is, our second album is our least well-received. It's it still suffered. And it, I built up a theory that the second album syndrome is more a syndrome of the fans and the listeners because you've had this one little soundbite of these people and then you've built a whole character around them and then you hear their next record which is true to them but you're like well that's not who I thought they were yeah and 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 the, again if I'd been aware of that I might have panicked more on the second album and changed it but thankfully because I wasn't it's like right now I'll just keep doing it but I think that it wouldn't more. have been helpful to you right it wouldn't have helped the process it, no you'd like, be thinking how do I please them yeah like, you can't yeah you literally can't it's it's true and I think I really really struggled with that because the yeah. first time I felt like there's people I'm going to let down and I started it seems not being able to write. So odd to have the complaints or pressure of success, but but, but it's real because all of us will always. Everyone I've spoken to on here, Armando Iannucci jumps to mind because he's someone that I feel has rarely put a foot wrong. He spoke frequently of imposter syndrome. So all of us have imposter. So when you're doing your first novel, you're still like. I mean, I'm not really one of these. I'm, like, this is a fluke. And then when it is received well, which is what you've aimed for, there is then that horrible pressure of, all right, well, prove yourself. Well, because that's when the Who impost- are you? That's- oh, you're one of us, are you? That's when Fuck. the imposter syndrome starts, right? Because, like, before that, like, I've always had a slight little bit of kind of, like, rubbing my hands like a little gremlin and going, hee, 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 hee. Like, I'm going to, like... I'm going to like bluff my way into the party. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm going to go up and, and like look down that list. I'm going to get in and I don't, I know I don't fit here, but it's like a lark. It's going to be nice to, to, to surprise them. Yeah. And, and then I'm going to come and then I'll going to come and then I'll come out later and I'll tell my mates that time I got into a place that I wasn't really supposed to, but I'll yeah. kind of come back down. And, and then when people start turning around and going, Oh, you, Oh yeah, you're a writer. And you go, it's like it's like the it's like a mask that eats into the face, right? Like you're like, oh, oh I don't think I can stop this character now that I'm the Tim the writer. Like it's in it. I found and it sounds silly, but I think also like when you suffer from like anxiety as well, and also like it being potentially like it's your career and it's like what's going to allow you to pay the your mortgage, and suddenly you're going, I don't think this is very good. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Um, and the, you know the authors I speak to, it like. As, as f- f- sort of silly and a luxury problem it is, it makes people genuinely miserable. And then, and those are the, only, the people we hear from. There's a load of other people who would love to write, who would love to sit down, and then they, well, the moment they do, they get that voice saying, "This, what are you doing? Mm. What are you doing?" And they get very adept at just not engaging with that, not even starting, not even giving themselves the pleasure. And there's so many good things like documentably brilliant things that can happen to your like well-being and your mind and all sorts of stuff when you write regardless of if another soul ever likes what you've written you know what was one of the biggest motivations for me on that front was moose rockwonga who's again i need to to clarify every time i mention him i've People think I'm saying Moose Rockwonga, but it's Musa, M-U-S-A, Okwonga, who, who we've both gigged with for years. Yeah. He's an amazing writer and was out having a drink with him and Polar Bear once and him saying, him revealing that he'd written 
I think, f- four or five novels before what is perceived as his first n- novel. And three of them, n- n- not a soul in the world has ever read. Two of them, a few people read, but didn't really, it didn't click, so it didn't get published. And that was just both, as as a writer of poetry and rap and stuff like that, then everything I wrote, I'd go and do on stage. I'd be excited about, oh, I've, I've written a new thing. Here it is. If yeah. it works, it works. If not, it's not. The idea of putting so much into writing 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100,000 words to to never l- let anyone see was hugely motivational because his outlet was, no, but I got better at it with, with each of them. I learned, it wasn't necessarily about what anyone else gets from that story. It's what I learned. An example also comes to mind, um, my brother, it still plays on, uh, my dad's mind more than my mum's, I think, that he got um, a 2-1 at, 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 at university. He was doing philosophy um, and he lived in a cottage in Wales and he finished his final essay and it had been snowing. And it was the day of handing it in, and he didn't go and hand it in. They've since said if he had, he would have got a first, and they've used that specific essay as examples. But his thought, again, a philosophy student, was, I'm not learning anything more by driving through the snow to hand this in. All I'm getting is a different bit of number on a bit of paper. The bit of paper isn't why I came here. I came here to learn what, what I've learned, and that's always been hugely inspirational to me. Still, my that parents is, that is awesome. That's like his drinking hemlock, right? Yeah. He's like going, look, if you want to, like, here's here's like here's like a definite like clash of two principles. Yeah, which one do I value more? Yeah. It's a great demonstration of what he values. It's amazing. Right? Still to that day, even understand it. My parents still go, yeah, but you should have just handed it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you're missing the point here. Particularly with a philosophy degree, yeah, of all the degrees, yeah, for fuck's sake. Say, but yeah. there's still that kind of yeah. But if you just, it, it would have been a first, though, wouldn't it? It's like ah, nice. all I would have earned. The difference between a two one and a first was a drive. That shouldn't be the difference between a two one and a first. But yeah, it's a fascinating one. That that was motivational to me to know that you can write and it can still give you everything you want, even if no one else ever reads it. I mean, it's great if you write it and then release it. So the benefits, as you were saying before I started rambling, that there is huge benefits for your 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 psyche, your your character, from just creative writing itself, regardless of releasing or becoming a writer. In fact, I would say, like, it's there's a bunch of stuff that you probably would choose not to... You, you know, you might just choose not to share. Like, I think writing for... I'm, like, a big advocate of, like, writing writing 10 minutes most days of the week, but, like, you set a timer for 10 minutes. Like, literally, like, get your phone timer. Yeah. Set it for 10 minutes. Get your, like, book, and you just free write. You, like, write about whatever you want. If you need, like, a prompt, you can, like, get a page of, like, a, a lyric or something like that, or get something out of a book or just pick a word. If you just want to write what's in your head going like, blah, 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 can't think of anything, can't think of anything. A man walks down the road, he finds a dog. The dog's name is Terry. Terry says, you know, like you just brain spew, right? Yeah. That is training your brain every day to, it starts to help you get through that inner critic. It starts to train your brain that it's okay to produce ideas, regardless of what's going to, come out of them now there there are palpable now there are palpable like we can we can talk about like actual like uh benefits that you can sort of 
see and measure. Um, like J- I, I spoke to this psychologist called James W. Pennebaker, who I'd learned about, who like was mainly in the University of Texas. I'd learned about like 20 years ago, I first heard of his work. He's this, he was a social psychologist who was really interested in, in he became interested in expressive writing. And he got almost by accident, actually, they just like added this question to a big health questionnaire that they were doing. And one of his students said, why don't you just add a question saying, what's like the most traumatic experience you've ever had in your life? Like to a question, the thing that was just like how many doctor's visits you had. And they just idly like added it to this huge data thing. And he found, and I love how people sort of stumble across this stuff, that that was the biggest predictor of... Like if they'd had a traumatic experience in their first sort of nine years of life, biggest predictor of like hospital visit frequencies as adults, right. biggest predictor of illnesses. And he found that like when people were holding on to experiences, stressful, traumatic experiences, um, that it made them it made them sick. It made them unhappy. Now, some of that is like blindingly obvious, right? Yeah. But what he then found is that they got people to come in, students. They did it mainly with university students at first in the University of Texas. And over four consecutive days, write for a quarter of an hour with the brief, write about the uh, most traumatic or upsetting experience of your life. Um, write continuously for the full 15 minutes. Um, try to reflect on your emotions then and now. Use details. Um each day they they were they could either write about a different experience or they could write about the same one from mm-hmm. multiple angles four days right they found uh, off the basis of that study and it's been replicated there's been over 200 follow up studies it's been replicated again and again they've read like the abstracts of studies they're doing now so this is over 20 years people who did it for the next 6 months their visits to the uh, doctor dropped by 50% Um, they've done studies where they've taken blood, uh, tests uh, later on and found that people's, um, immune system, their like white blood cell count, their, um, uh, antibodies, uh, rise in the, uh, one week later and stay risen for the next six months after doing just like that hour over four days of writing about something, um, upsetting and relating feelings then and now and going into detail about like, like senses like touch taste things like that Re- um they found that this is the crazy one right i don't know whose idea it was to start doing this but they um took like punch biopsies of students so that is when you get like a it's like a hole punch on the skin right that you normally would use to take a skin sample so it's yeah. like about a millimeter hole that you punch in the yeah. flesh um and they found that people who did the exercise like heal that wound quicker um, having written about something traumatic and got it off their chest right to the extent now that the current studies are more okay if someone needs to go in for surgery because it briefly what it does though is for the few days afterwards it briefly suppresses the immune system it Mm -hmm. briefly makes takes longer to heal they're now looking if someone needs to go in say for heart surgery when after the half heart surgery is the best time or before is the best time for them to start doing an expressive writing exercise to heal their stitches quicker after wow. they've had surgery. Like this is not like I know my immediate response when I started reading about this was like, this is it. This is hit some hippie bullshit, right? Yeah. Like this is one of those things that is going to be like in a journal that has got no credibility whatsoever. Yeah. But this is like, there's been meta st- meta critiques written on it. It's all peer reviewed studies. You can go and read the ab- abstracts. I mean, it's fascinating because we're coming 
back round to to Wim Hof again. And one of the things I used in the episode with him is to kind of get people on board to say, look, I know some of this is going to sound like heavy bullshit, but because a lot of his thing is about he's taking control of his immune system and it's through breathing things and all this and a mental thing. <clears throat> and the, the easiest way I could explain it was we've all had a time in our life where we're really busy and we're too busy to get ill. And then as soon as we have a weekend off, we get ill. That's your mind taking control of your immune system automatically and not consciously. Wim Hof's thing was consciously. The the, the study example you're using here is using expressive writing to, to take that some kind of control over it. But it's so untapped and ununderstood how how much control we have over our bodies, over healing, over immune systems, over all that kind of thing. So it's always a fascinating one. I, I found that to be the best example I could come up with to go, I know you're listening thinking yeah, this yeah, is yeah. nonsense, but have, has this ever happened to you? It has. Therefore, the mind can take some kind of control over these well, things. Well, here's, so- here's the crazy thing about it. Here's the bit that, like, so I spoke to James W. Pennebaker and he said, oh, it's all like you're suppressing the memory of this stressful thing. And his theory is, like, the effort of holding in uh, unhappy memories. Yeah. And to be clear, right, it's not, like rumination is a different thing. When someone's depressed, they might repeat the same experience over and over. Anyone like listening who maybe struggles with like PTSD or something like that, they'll go, look, I'm not holding that in. I like relive that. Yeah. Like I, without wanting to, right. To be clear, it is not just, you know, he told me that like people like would have, after he got this research, he was like the guy who people would approach at parties and tell like their sad story or their difficulty. And those people had like crappy health. Like it's not about just repeating the same story over and over. It's making the effort to make sense of something and construct it. Even if the story and the meaning that you apply to it is completely different to one you had before, it's the effort after meaning. Now, what I find interesting is that his theory holds water, but like just to be clear in case people were thinking that I'm saying there's no controversy over this at all, some people had the bright idea of doing a, a follow-up study where they went, what if we just got people to write about traumas that had never happened? What if we just get them to write fiction? Same effect. Wow. So now we're like, now we're in a situation where we're like, well, what's that about? Because they weren't... They weren't holding that in. Yeah. That never happened. Yeah. And yet you still get the elevated immune response. You still get the uh, fewer doctor visits. You still get the improved healing, even if someone... So now we're back to like talking about horror movies. Now yeah. we're talking about that thing about raised cortisol levels. Um, people then going into releasing um, oxytocin. We're, we're now going like, maybe there is something inherently bonding and inherently... Uh, you know, I don't want to use the word because it's not, you know, totally scientific, but healing about human beings going through stories. Now, my, I've got a pet theory about this, completely unlike tested, but like, yeah. I wonder whether when we write stories where people go through a journey, when, when people, you know, whatever, and when we have something that releases cortisol and then oxytocin, when we see someone go through that journey of struggle, conflict, and then resolution, when we bond with them, maybe what we're doing is a little bit like, Manual dreaming, right? Yeah. Like you, we go, we have stressful dreams all the time. It's been shown, like the studies show, like when someone's depressed or when someone suffers from anxieties, their dreams become the content of them. They dream more and the content of their dream becomes more distressing. Yeah. And actually people, one of the problems with people with like severe depression is that you have so much REM sleep. You have so many dreams that actually you miss out on your deep, deep sleep and you get knackered because you're 
mind is so trying to yeah. like process the trauma that you actually can't get a decent night's sleep yeah, and they've you can't had to actually take- be rested and again it's it's a simple thing there of anyone who 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 hasn't had troubling dreams or, or or just in general the the kind of control and power of dreams is is that if you have something scary happen in the dream your heart rate rises yeah. if you have something sexy happen in the yeah. dream something <laughs> yeah. else may yeah. rise but you know the, these things are real physical reactions so there is a distinction between types of sleep and types of dreaming because you could be exhausting much of yourself while you're asleep and while you're going through these things absolutely it's, it's the same yeah it's re- releasing so, those same things and i just wonder whether sometimes this form of storytelling it's um this is just a hypothesis that i'm really interested to test it's one yeah. of the things i'd really like to start speaking to people and ask about is whether when we tell stories we are just kind of like taking it out of automatic into manual and we are exploring things exploring traumas and we are doing some of that dreaming in a kind of like conscious manual way. Like actually when I say it out loud, it doesn't sound that controversial, but, yeah. but I just, I just want to distinguish something that's just my speculation yeah, from yeah, stuff yeah, where no. I can like show you the papers. It's fascinating show you the as well, because the fact is with f- f- fiction, what you have to take into account is that all of us, no matter how much our f- Uh, fashion or social media habits might suggest otherwise all of us are unique individuals and everything that's happened to us in in our life has led to that point and i don't want to get all too deep about stars and particles and everything else all these crazy things you shouldn't be ashamed of that right like why have we got this enculturated thing where we're not allowed to talk about human life being miraculous but again it is it is it is is. complete miraculousness that has, has led all of this and your parents and all this other thing so even if you're writing f- f- fiction, the traumatic things that have happened in your life are going to influence the subjects that you pick. Even if they yeah. don't seem related, the subjects, the topics, the challenges of that character, they're going to come from... Even if you don't feel that you're 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 purging in any way, they're going to come from somewhere. So they're going to be related to that. So it makes perfect sense in reality that writing f- fiction can have the same effect as confronting uh, a troubling thing that's happened in your life. Because it's... It's your fiction. It's not anyone else's fiction. It's your fiction. Exactly. And you don't have to consciously decide, I'm going to take this thing on. Like, I speak to over and over again with other authors, and it happened with me, with all my stuff. Like, I have this weird thing, and you might have had it with your... your with your work as well. I don't know. It might just be me, but often I'll write about something, think I'm writing about fiction or I'm inventing a character. And it's only like six months, a year, four years later, I go, Oh, that's me. Yeah. Like, or it predicts something that's going to happen. You know, I write my second, my first poetry collection. My second book is called pub Stuntman, And there's like a par minute about a guy who like, just like drinks and kind of like, uh, like does all this stupid crap while he's, drunk and the last the last line was like something like uh uh a human hid inside this prat i smothered him with clowning i was much too far out all my life and not waving but downing and i in my head and like not being in any way disingenuous i would tell people oh it's just about like it's about someone i used to know back at home who was like in the pub i wasn't joking i thought so and then a year after writing it, I was like, oh, I've got a drink problem. I need to stop drinking. And I stopped and I've been teetotal for f- five and a half years now. And I suddenly went, and 
nobody who saw that poem thought it was about anyone but me. Wow. Nobody, like wow. in retrospect, nobody watching it. Everyone was like, oh, we thought it was autobiographical. Yeah. N- no. and That's like, fascinating. It, and I, w- the- I wonder if, it, if there was anything at the time of, of writing, though, because there's something that I found is I think I benefit a lot from being forgetful. I think it's the reason I don't think about having a stutter when taking on roles or things like that. I was like, I forget about that. And I've had that with songs where I would have been performing it for two years and someone will say about this and how deep it is. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, that was about <laughs> yeah. a really big part. It's now just noises or it's yeah. now just I'm about the performance and this and that. But I'll just forget that it probably for that hour I was writing it, it was really hard to be that, that open and honest. As soon as it was finished, I was like, Oh, that's really good. Yeah. I'm really excited for people to hear this. And it allows you to detach yourself, and I you, guess. And you reprocess it and it becomes a different part of your yeah. mind and it becomes something that you kind of get some kind of emotional closure on. And that isn't, you know, and, and I think you, you know, almost certainly, and we can talk about this, but like you almost certainly um, reprocess it in a different part of your brain and you are literally relating to it and retrieving it from a different part so yeah. it's like it's gone from the kind of like well what the limbic system you know i've got like an overactive amygdala i've got this kind of like overactive limbic system that that's what responds to threat that's the fight flight or freeze response versus the parasympathetic nervous system which is activated that's the kind of like a rest and digest part of the nervous system right yeah when we ruminate and we're in the kind of brain's default mode we are unable to distinguish between threats that are part of our memory, that are embarrassments. Like I'm the guy who like walks along the road, remembers something he said when he's seven and starts like gurning yeah. and like folding myself into a clam with like embarrassment. And, and But the response my body is having is fight or flight, right? It's like I'm trying to hide. I'm yeah. trying to hide from a predator. Like that's what yeah, that's yeah, what that yeah, embarrassment yeah, yeah. response is. It's just the fact that our like latest level of evolution has made us fear more than predators. Ostracize, ostracization, right? We're yeah. afraid of doing something that gets us kicked out of the community because then you starve, right? It's the same reason why people talk about like um alpha males and all this kind of nonsense that is like evolutionary bollocks because actually the latest phase of human evolution hardwired us not to follow people who are physically strong but it, it like leaders and people that we are hardwired to be attracted towards and want to follow are people who are intelligent because they're the people who can find a fresh water supply yeah. they're the people who can parse what berries to eat and the the mo- the biggest correlation between intelligence and the biggest external sign of intelligence that we had when we made that final evolutionary leap was oral fluency. Right, so, yeah. so, so it's people who are able to like, and like, I realize that might sound quite self-serving, right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, it turns out like the, the most it's natural probably, leaders are like, yeah, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> people who can like chat bollocks for ages. Um, but it's, it's, it, 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 but it's true that we are definitely, we have an underlying wiredness towards that. And I, I, I sort of, I do think it's true that we, are unable to i mean like people talk nonsense of course about the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system i hear it all the time i've sat through so many lectures on stress and anxiety because i've gone through every different type of therapy um none of it particularly helped me but like i do laugh when i see someone like reading out from a sheet and they go well the fight or flight response is there to what would happen is it would it used to be useful so um 
you could outrun a lion. And I'm like, lions have got a land speed of 40 <laughs> miles an hour. Like, if I could, if my, if my anxiety disorder, Usain Bolt, I think like his top speed was like 18 miles an hour. If yeah. I could write at like what would have to be like 42 miles an hour, yeah. I would. You know what? I'd be, <laughs> I'd be like firing starting pistols by my head every day to keep to keep that mother going. Constantly, <laughs> it'd be amazing. I, I do have to also add that you need to be aware of 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 the world's the world you live in or circles you mix in when you're saying people talk shit all the time about the whatever that bit before nervous system was. I was like. Do they too? Is yeah, people, I mean, people always talk so much. But I, I, I think, like, when you when you've got an anxiety disorder, like you do, like get loads of people. You're reading books all the time, going yeah. how? So yeah, like in my world, everyone is constantly. Yeah, yeah, you're fair enough. I was like, oh, they're so artive. They so. Um, <laughs> I have to to start to wrap things up now. Is we're at, we're at seventy five minutes, which seems insane because it honestly feels like I've been talking for ten minutes. I normally. After I've stopped, I'll say to a guest every now and then, oh, that flew by. But this is, I'm hoping the listener has had it as easy as us because this feels like we've been chatting for, for five, ten minutes. But I want to kind of wrap things up or get towards wrapping things up by kind of saying if you can offer some advice to people who do have feel they have a, a novel in them, a story in them, a film, a computer game, any of these different things in them, how they can go about action in that. Because my advice has always been largely down to a complete lack of understanding of how everything works in my head. My only advice has always been, just do it. Because that's been the simple thing I feel that has differentiated me from friends of mine that have wanted to do similar things to me. Not to say that I'm above any of the people I'm friends with or grew up with, but for those who wanted to do stuff that I've done and didn't, I feel there's some who are far better talkers than me, are far better, so much more going on. I just happened to be the one that went, no, I'm just going to actually do it. But I feel that's an oversimplification because of my own lack of understanding of what's actually behind it all. So what can you kind of tell people as a, as a guide or as, as a, as a force? Yeah, great. I can give you, I can give some concrete stuff. I always want to like undersell and uh, 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 over deliver, but I can tell you some stuff that's worked for me um, based on the best latest data that we've got. And like, I don't want to, you know, I know I keep talking about neuroscience and stuff like that. It's just because I've, gone on this kind of quest in the last sort of four months to really like find the latest data because a lot of writers we set we share things ourselves we go what works for you and nobody really knows and I thought yeah there are people who've been like studying this for like 20 years yeah. would it be worth crossing the floor and asking them if they got any tips <laughs> and it turns out they have yeah. and they're like yeah we cracked this actually and, and 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 so and I just want to say like I spent four years working on my novel The Ice House which um is you know is out uh fairly soon i spent four years working on it and it was really hard and it was brutal i wrote a quarter of a million words um cut it down to a hundred and thirty-five thousand. i put myself through hell writing that book and i didn't need to and it was all because of stuff i was doing in my brain and i refused and and people do not need to go through that you're right that it's just do it but there's reasons why people don't and I don't, if anyone's out there and you've ever struggled, I'm going to say this is how to do it. Because as soon as I started applying these things, I spoke to a guy called Dr. Tim Pitchell, who um, it, people always like laugh when I say, but he works at the Procrastination Research Group. And they're like, oh, does he? <laughs> and it's like, no, he's he, he, like, he's actually, a, he's actually an internationally renowned expert on it. And don't take the mickey. Like, 
But uh, yeah, it's always it's always funny. But he's he spent twenty years studying this, collating data. Um, they've done e- fMRI scans on the brains of procrastinators versus non-procrastinators. They look fundamentally different, right? Wow. So if you procrastinate, your your brain is wired differently. This is not, you know, it's and I want to say that as it's kind of like. It's under your control, but it's not your fault. So first off, right, procrastination. A lot of people feel like I can't help it. Mm-hmm. Procrastination, they call it um, uh, volitional dysfunction. Uh, but that is, is, a voluntarily, is a voluntary delay in any action that you, and knowing that when you voluntarily delay that action, you're going to end up uh, worse off. Right. So it's not the same as like, like if, if I had to go into like hospital yeah. and I wasn't writing my novel, no one would be saying, oh, Tim's been procrastinating. Yeah. They'd be yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. of course, that was sensible. That's a reasonable thing. It's something that you do. No, it's that. And that's what makes it so painful because you know you're being your own worst enemy. So here's the first thing I, I want to just explain, like how people can understand what yeah. it, what's going on. Um, you, it's People think that it's like laziness. They think it's un, they're not being disciplined enough. Mm-hmm. They'll say that like, oh, well, you've got to be more disciplined. It is nothing to do, all the data suggests it's nothing to do with under-regulation of behaviour. It's misregulation. What people do is, I'll explain what that is. When you want to do something, you have a thought like, I'm going to write that book. And you go to sit down to do it. You feel stress. That's the amygdala kicking in. That's the limbic system. They kick in and you start thinking to yourself, you remember times you've been embarrassed before. You remember yeah. times, you remember the teacher at school who told you were shit. You remember the bullies that surrounded you and said, what are you reading, Tim? Oh, yeah. You, all those people appear. You remember the critics and your brain is unable to distinguish between threats that are imagined or past threats right. and physical threats that are there in front of you so you get a stress response you the the sympathetic nervous system kicks in you get elevated adrenaline you get elevated cortisol your brain is your all the creative parts of your brain in fact start shutting down yeah. because you don't need to be able to do a good painting when you're under threat you need to be able to like get up a tree right yeah, yeah. so you're so immediately it becomes harder to write And so then suddenly it's harder to write. And what you attempt then is what they call a mood repair. So basically in that situation, you go, I'm going to distract myself. I'm going to, you know, like what you were saying earlier, when you were feeling stressed, you looked at the TV, you pick up your phone, you get on an app, you go on social media, you do whatever. And temporarily that distraction, you're now no longer thinking about the critics hating you. You're now no longer thinking about how things are going wrong and your mood temporarily improves by you you're feeling less mm-hmm. however in the long term you're not going to make yourself feel worse because you've not started it so this is the first thing for people to understand is that it is a problem of misregulation not underregulation and being harsher to yourself and trying to sort that out you are actually doing an amazing job mm. of helping yourself feel all right the moment you feel that stress you're stepping in going don't worry i've got this we're going to look at twitter don't worry and and that is a wicked feedback loop that gets hard. Every time you do that, every time you pick up the phone, every time you watch TV, every time you go and start like rearranging the kind of like novelty thimbles on your mantelpiece, that is like putting a, a, a wrap of um, like a kind of sheath around those different like cortical pathways. It's yeah. thickening them and it's reinforcing that circuit in your brain. So right. you have to think about it less and less and less until eventually you can just... You don't like if you're anything like me, social media, just there's a muscle memory that makes it appear. There's a muscle memory that makes the card app on your phone appear. 
there's a muscle memory and you don't and you look around and you realize you've done it so that is what you're fighting and it takes a while to turn that ship around the good news is it's just like you know what like going into cold showers is one of the things that helped me with procrastination because it allowed me to start thinking about like here's something that is going to i know one thing i'd encourage people to look at is when you finish writing do i feel better same or worse when i get into that cold shower afterwards do i feel better same or worse the answer Mm. was always i've never felt worse for having a cold shower i've never felt worse for starting the timer for 10 minutes starting the timer get listen if you can't get started with your writing one of the things is that i was told that made a difference to me that i went from writing nothing for four months to writing 50,000 words in two is and and loving it i'm writing a book at the moment i am loving it i am it's joy it is manner every day i get up i'm like i've got a chance i i sneak it in the way people sneak in the in crystal having a wank i'm like oh my god (laughs) i've got like this book to do but for ages i never felt less like a writer than when i was writing when i had the fantasy about writing great but as moment i sat down i felt inadequate and not up to the task and that doesn't mean that you're not a writer it doesn't mean that you haven't got a right to tell your story set a timer for but saying set a timer for three minutes and say that you're going to write two sentences in that three minutes. Yeah. Set it on your phone. It sounds too simple or it sounds stupid. Set yourself the most low ball target and write two minutes. Do a list. Like I'd say before you even st- people start to write a book, like saying I'm going to sit down and write a novel is a fundamentally unexecutable command. Yeah. It's like yeah. no, literally no human has ever sat down and write, written a novel. Mm. What you do is you can... S- what that think here's four words that changed my life what's my next action i mean there's you know that with a contraction there for what's what is <laughs> what what's my four and a half what's my next action and for me Can it's we often make it five because of my obsession with yeah, the number five yeah so okay I'll go for what is my what next is action? my next action so this, <laughs> this is what tim dr tim pitcher told me and it's changed my life so like for me often it's like have you opened your laptop and switched it on now that is not I'm going to write a novel. Yeah. That is like, I can open it. It's not straight for me to open a laptop. Right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, have you switched on word or whatever, or a uh, noveler or whatever you're using or, or to write. Okay. So you open that file. Okay, cool. Have you started your timer for three minutes? No, I could, I can, I can open my phone and, and, and set up a timer. I can do that. That's nice. Have you pressed start? What's my next action? Press start. Now you're into it. And now you've got to write two sentences. I'm telling you, you start making, you start changing your brain, you start changing that threat response, that enlarged amygdala, and then you start having fun. What I'd suggest is a really great way of like getting into writing. Don't start writing a novel. Spend the one I start off with all the time and writing groups go, oh, this seems too easy. And because I've made this like eight week writing course that's available for free online, people can just go on yeah. and it's like 10 minutes every day for eight weeks, right? It's the most successful thing I've ever done, including all my my books. Yeah. Um, and I just did it because like something was delayed. Like my book was submitted. The email I accidentally didn't send. And for four months I was waiting for my publishers to get back. And then it turned out it was in drafts, right? Brilliant. In the meantime, Brilliant. I made this yeah. writing course just to pass the time, right? And I've had hundreds of people write to me saying they hadn't written for months they hadn't written for years and suddenly they could write and i'm not saying that just to big myself up because it's not me it's them but i'm saying anyone can do this and it yeah. doesn't matter if you have been blocked for i've had people who've been blocked for 25 years mm. so m- one my first exercise i do is you, you set a timer for 10 minutes and you just list made up names mm. 
like kind of like Joe Bloggs, uh, Philip Smith, uh, Francis Dog. You just start making them up, right? Yeah. The brain is so good at solving problems when you set it specific problems. Yeah. Write a novel is not a problem your brain can solve. No. Give me 20 names. And it's easier, paradoxically, to come up with 80 ideas than it is to come up with one. Because there's a pressure when you come up with a single idea. Yeah. But it's got to be good. This is great. This is my good idea. When you write 80, 79 of those can be you're going to have to throw out because you only need one name, right? Yeah. So then it's easy and it switches off that um, response. So that's number one, that, those, that's number one and two. Ti- very short timed exercises. Only do three minutes a day to start with. Yeah. And don't do it every day. Give yourself one day off. Give yourself two. Hell, as long as you're doing it at least four times a week, you're going to be changing the patterns in your brain. I spoke to Martin Lotzer, um, a German neuroscientist, who's shown that the brains of writers and non-writers are wired differently, different parts, different hemispheres. Whole different hemispheres light up in people who write regularly yeah. to people who don't write regularly. So, if And you don't have to do it. The, the entrainment can be three minutes a day for, mo- for four days out of seven a week, yeah. right? So know that you're that you're changing that brain. What fires together, wires together. The, the the second thing is what's my next action, and that doesn't matter if you're a writer. It doesn't matter if you're trying to do like exercise. It's helped. See, doing this writing thing has made mean I now run eighteen k a week. I was doing nothing, right? Yeah. I run eighteen k a week. I do high intensity interval training three times a week. Um, the reason I can do that is because of practicing with writing. Yeah. I now realised that what I needed to do to do it was put my running kit in a plastic bag on my door handle that's all it took didn't need any willpower i just had to know where it was so there couldn't be a delay from me going shall i do it now i'm going oh there it is and i put it on and i'm gone like it wasn't difficult right because i'm not going i need to do this big run so the 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 final thing i'm going to suggest is studies in um uh, research and some people may have heard this, but um, like v- uh, vipassana meditation, like insight meditation, like following the breath, like uh, meditating for fifteen minutes a day. Um, studies have shown over eight weeks that it um, shrinks the amygdala volume mm-hmm. in procrastinators. Uh, it it actually changes the wiring of that brain and it increases the wiring of I want to say the frontal cortex, which is to do with executive control, your ability to make decisions your ability to have control over those kind of like impulses so if you are able to meditate for i wouldn't you know don't get obsessed by it if you can do three minutes a day um of just sitting and breathing in and out and just concentrating on your breath and whenever a thought comes up just let it go um that has been shown to drastically shrink amygdala volume change the kind of like wiring of the, the uh, of your brain if you're doing that alongside three minutes of writing most days a week over eight weeks and that which is a crazily short time compared to what we used to think in terms of neuroplasticity the brain becoming kind of like we you know when i studied psychology back in the 90s we were told that like the brain like intelligence and brain structure becomes crystallized around sort of 35 40 and then that is it so you better get it locked in because then you're just like dealing with it and moving around it it's not true and so we are in this amazing state now where you can through a few of these things and by changing that brain it's not just going to affect writing this is the this is the amazing thing is it's allowed me to exercise more it's allowed me to you know just send send email instead of putting off i used to put off sending an email to someone saying do you want to do this thing for weeks months yeah and now i just go what's my next action 
I will write the email. I won't send it. That's the ju- that's the I thing I tell it, myself. I've, I think the key there as well is the the beauty of that whole system is it's doing exactly as you were saying earlier. If it's turning off your inner critic, it's making every action a positive rather than looking at the actions you didn't take. And I think again, it's weird. Or it, no, it's not weird at all. I relate it to exercise. The the difference I made was I built a little gym at my house. And again, it was exactly that. It's like, if I can get 10 minutes in, great. I'm not going to be beating myself up that I didn't do an hour today. I'm going to be pleased with myself that I did a 10 minutes today. And it's a similar thing there of rather than going, oh, you failed because you didn't write 2,000 words. It's like you did your three minutes or you did your 10 minutes and it, or you did this. And it adds up, like it adds up wickedly. I like, you know, like the big, the big game changers for me was like, here's what's my next action. Buy a pen. Yeah. Good. Like I went down the corner shop and I bought a pad and I bought a pen and it is near, I have one near my bed and I have one on my desk and that makes it easy to pick up. Right. And then you note these things down and then it is, I filled notebooks now and I've looked back and some of that stuff is good. I'm working on, I'm writing one novel, right? This is the thing. I'm writing one novel. I'm like 55,000 words in, but at the same time, I've got multiple short stories on the go. I've got three other novels waiting in a holding pattern. I cannot, I don't want to sound like Scrooge on Christmas day, but you've got to understand for someone who basically thought he would never be able to write again because of how anxiety affects him. This is, transformed my life and i i I, all i'm saying is try it for like a couple of days if you're interested because like we say like we said all the way through it's not about you know like it's great if you can share a novel share a story with people inspire them get them reading you know whether it's like an exciting novel and they get to sit with that while they're waiting on difficult test results at a hospital and it gives them yeah. a little bit of escape whether you're writing like a deep um artistic novel that like moves the genre forward whatever you want to write whether you write you know like great romance novels that just make people go oh my god this is so hot whatever you want to write that's cool and it's wonderful if you get it out there but your primary audience should be you and i love what you were saying about like doing your first album it sets it seems to me like part of what you was like driving you was like Oh my god, we just get to be a bit mischievous, yeah, right? Yeah, we get to do our thing. And 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 writing for mischief rather than to sort of please an imaginary audience is what's going to get you it's what's going to get you through it and it's going to make yeah. I want the process to be a joy for people, not just the result. I don't want to say like you walk through fire and you might get like a book. Yeah. You might yeah. get a book deal at the end of it. Like the once that book be, is yeah. over, once that book is over, you can't play with those characters anymore. They're gone. So enjoy it while it's there. I love that. And is is there anything more rewarding than when the tasks set turn from being something that you have to complete to something that you can't make yourself stop? So that 10 minutes thing, I've, I've had ones before where I've struggled to get an hour's writing in a day and then one day it all clicks and I'm just like, cancelling plans because i'm just like it's all coming it's here now it's that beauty of what was once a chore i'm then excited to wake up early and start on it again you know because what was once i need to get this amount done i need to get this in then it's like i just need more time to be it's like when you love joy when that 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 is it's switched and you get to to run with it exactly it's like when you lock in those first four bars yeah and you've got like basically what the this piece is going to be about yeah and you've got the rhyme scheme down 
and and then it's like just it's like it's like playing Tetris. You're yeah. just slotting stuff in, going, oh, yeah. I could do this, I could do this, and you're overproducing. And you don't mind if you're gonna like cut cut this verse, cut this verse. It doesn't matter. You're it's just like mischief and you feel like a little mad professor, like putting stuff together. Yeah. And and that joy is what I see my daughter doing when she like she'll like she at the moment she's obsessed with making birthday cards for people and it's not their birthdays. Yeah. She'll just go. I'm, she'll just like grab me and go. I'm going to make you a birthday card. Oh, this and should she be more loves of that. it. And she loves making them. And she loves the colours. And there's no reason why that you know they call it you know flow state, but that feeling of like being in the brain's focused mode, where instead of being focused on these ruminating thoughts and threats, you're focusing outwards on something that absorbs you. Utterly, I think that is one of the high points of being alive. Yeah, and and your daughter is completely on to something there because I'm not that into birthdays, but it's because birthdays are 364 days in the making. Yeah, like, like they should be celebrated each time you've got through. Yeah. Like you don't get to it like that. You get to <laughs> yeah. it through 364 shit days. So yeah. I, I love that. It's like happy birthday again. Yeah. You're doing good. You're getting yeah. there. That should be a more regular thing. So. Where can people find you on socials and even more importantly, get your, your eight week uh, free kind of course and all cool. that kind of thing? Well, if people can um, uh, follow me on at Tim Club Poet on Twitter, um, I've also got um, my website, www.com. You never need to say that, do you? People understand. I don't know why we're still HTTPS. All you need to do is like open an internet browser, right? First, you'll need connectivity to your Wi Fi. Um, uh, TimClairPoet.co.uk. And it's it's C L A R E. That's right. Yeah. Um, And um, if you also just uh, Google um, Couch to 80K Writing Bootcamp, that's my free like eight week by podcast course that's just like you can just try out the first one. over like a thousand people have like done the full eight weeks now and um you can just listen and every episode is just all it asks for you is 10 minutes of writing and it's got the timer in the episode so you just press play and have something to write on brilliant and it will just take you through to the end and then once it's done you're done um and you know i just hope people in, in enjoy that because i think making that was about me healing my relationship with writing and now and now I'm like the crazy guy who goes around going, I'm really enjoying writing. I love it. And it's 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 perfect. This has been an absolute joy because because we've talked about you coming on at some point for a while now. And I always feel all these things, it's about timing, man. And this hmm. feels like the perfect timing that you're in that hyped, <laughs> excited place about it all that we can... It, it's, it hasn't j- just been... Because I had loads of notes about the spoken word scene and the changes, but... No one needs to hear just two blokes reminiscing. It's far more exciting <laughs> to, to have his stuff that's exciting and new and all that. So, yeah, it's been oh, an absolute uh, joy. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tim Clare. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. I I mean, I told you it was a good one, and I told you it was... It went deep, and it was emotional. Obviously, I was also pleased at the start to talk about ice-cold showers, because I love that. But yeah, as said, as I mentioned, I'm not going to do a long outro either. I'm just going to be brief and say, look, if you can share this, as said, I'm doing a thing... It's for another podcast I'm guesting on, a BBC thing. Um, 
and I have to have a week where I don't go on socials. So, yeah, as I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm probably going to pop on or send someone else on or use a Hootsuite or something to post about it once on the day of release. But, but, but I won't be there to reply and like and like things like Facebook or Twitter the more I reply and the more I like tweets the more people see them I'm not going to be there to do all that so I really need you guys to to go on the Instagram for example and like it and comment and leave your thoughts and share it on Twitter retweet quote retweets so you can write a bit at the top to say look I enjoyed this episode on on Facebook share it with your friends and family and so on and so forth so yeah Get this one out there, guys. I think it's a really good one, and I think there's a lot of people out there who need to hear this um, at the moment. So, yeah, that is it. I'll be back on s- Sunday with another special one, to be fair. It's it's a special... Uh, it's Emmy Awareness Day on Sunday, the 12th, May 12th. So um, I've got Jason Reed on, and we're, uh, we're going to be talking about that. All right, I'll see you in a bit. Bye-bye.